nothing new in the world of sales, except for the history you do not know. Welcome to the Sales History Podcast, bringing the brilliant and sometimes strange minds, methods, and ideas from the sales profession's past with applications to today. Here is your host, best-selling author of The Transparency Sale and The Transparent Sales Leader, keynote speaker, trainer, and nerd, Todd Capone. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Sales History Podcast. As you might be able to notice now, there are seasons where I release these on a regular basis, and then as the season kind of wears down, it's really on demand. I find something, I see something that is so worthy of an episode that I've just got to go record it, and here we are today. And so today, I want to take you back to 1909. There was an article that I read from Worthington C. Holman, and really, in the article, all it is is him telling a story, it's really more of a parable, about sales leadership that I thought was so awesome that I just had to share it. And speaking of 1909, I mean, part of the reason why this is so important is I've got a book in my collection and it's from the Modern Business Collection. It is called Sales Management. It's from a guy named John G. Jones. It's also copyright 1909. And in it, Jones talks at length about the idea that today, as always, the importance of sales management depends upon the importance of the field selling job. And what he means by that is, as selling gets harder, sales leadership and sales management becomes really a lot more important. Like when things are easy, your sales manager is there to recruit and build culture and make sure that people show up, stay, do their best and advocate. And they probably have to forecast. But when things get tough, the strategy, the planning, the ability to oversee everything and see it from a high level is so important. Yet I talked to a sales leader recently and I had to push back on him because he said in a proud type of way that he participated in over 500 sales calls in 2022. Now that's great. Yeah, you should be involved, but dude, like you've got to take a step back because when you're participating in over 500, that's at least a couple of days where you're doing the work of the, the team, right? You're not empowering them so that while you might be awesome, you've got the opportunity to empower your team so they can be awesome at scale. That's the only way to make things sustainable. And so I'm going to tell you the story that Worthington Holman tells, and I've made it my own a little bit because it's written with some words and things that don't make a whole lot of sense. But he tells the story of a medieval fighter, so a thousand years ago, named Dunderblitzen von Schusch. Like, I love that name. And what I want you to keep in mind is don't be a Dunderblitzen. All right, so let's go. Dunderblitzen, he was this old army fighter, and he was heralded, like known as, quote, a champion heavyweight skull splitter. There was nobody better. And it was said, and here's another quote from the article that I took directly, that he could crack open a warrior suit of protecting armor with his battle axe more deftly than a modern butcher man forces an entrance into a tin of Mrs. Hines's beans with a can opener. That's fantastic, right? When I say that these authors back then could write, like what kind of analogy could be better than that? Now, 
Dunderblitz and Von Schusch, he was an army lifer and being the best fighter had always been a specialty, right? For over 20 years, it came easy to him. Now, as a result of attrition and his strength, he earned his way up to being a troop captain, which is kind of like a team leader in the sales environment, like a player coach. He had swung his sword probably 10,000 times, and now he was leading a group within the overall army. Now, at the time, his army had just won a significant battle. They liberated a city that needed liberation. The bad news, however, was that all of Dunderblitz and superiors had lost their lives in the fight, and the only captain left to become the army's general was Von Schusch. Dunderblitz and Von Schusch's fighting abilities were never questioned. However, had he ever been a leader of an army? Nope. But suddenly, he's been promoted, and now it's up to him to lead, to defend and protect the city they had just fought for. Now, immediately after the victorious battle, followed by his appointment as supreme leader, those opposing armies, they arrived vowing to retake the city they had lost. Now, keep in mind, the city was circled and protected by a wall, which was approximately four miles in circumference, so four miles in a circle, and a mile in diameter, so middle to middle, right? Or end to end. The first assault by the opposing army came via the main entrance, so the front. Dunderblitzen rallied his army, blew through the main entrance gate, and successfully defended the city by blowing back the foe far out into the countryside. So they've won. They return in triumph, but news comes fast that there's another sect of the opposing army attacking via the wall on the opposite side of the city. So Dunderblitzen takes his army through the city's bending streets as rapidly as possible, met the opposing army, and took them down once again with overwhelming force, like successful again. Now, obviously, they're tired, they're exhausted, he and his army's resting, but that night, the enemy made another attack. Von Schusch was sleeping in his armor on a bench. He rolled off, sent messengers to wake up his soldiers, and they battled the opposing army once again, and once again won. The relentless attacks didn't stop, though. You know, morning, noon, night, the opposing army is assaulting the walls of the city Dunderblitzen was in charge of protecting. He rushed his soldiers back and forth across the city with himself at the helm, repelling these attacks. Now, so you can imagine, after two or three days and nights of these random battles, the soldiers started to complain. I mean, they couldn't take the pace. The effort of chasing through the crooked streets of the city was exhausting, and as exhausting as the fighting itself. So some of Dunderblitzen's officers, the kind of the troop captains that had been assigned, they got together and they put together a plan to convince Dunderblitzen to change his approach. They requested what was called the Council of War, which is simply a term for a meeting of officers during an emergency. And so they approached him and Dunderblitzen roared, Council nothing! I have a council of war going on in my head every moment I'm awake. That's council enough for this outfit. I'll do the counseling and you do the jumping when I command. That'll be all I care to hear from you this morning. Well, the random battles continued, and within days, a series of calamities finally changed Dunderblitzen's opinion of having a council. Half of his army was incapacitated, famine was gripping the city, the water supply for the city was running out, mutiny was imminent, 
and every day the enemy's attacks were growing stronger while his army's resistance was getting weaker. So Dunderblitzen himself requested the council. And he said, things are going wrong. What can we do to save the city? One of the older officers stood up and replied, um, are, are we free to speak, General? Dunderblitzen pounded the table. Free as air. Speak out. Open up. You'll hear us through? To the last word. Well then, said the gray-bearded officer, why do you spend your time leading fights in person instead of in planning the general defense of the city? You delegate no authority to subordinates. You've made no study of the strategic strength or weakness of the city as a whole. No plan to protect at all times, all the places open to attack. You have no map of the city's entire defenses. There are towers and battlements you've never even visited. There are weak places in the wall that you have never inspected. You have called for no reports on any of these matters. The safety of the city lies in having a directing eye that sees everything going on. Someone that plans to guard every part of the city wall and leaves the actual fighting at various points to troop captains like me. As a personal sword swinger, you add the strength of three ordinary men-at-arms to the defense. But as a supreme strategist planning the general conduct of the defense, you might triple the effectiveness of the entire thousand men in your army. Now, while this all made sense, Dunderblitzen stood up and glared at the officer. He was obviously annoyed at the feedback. But the officer snapped back, Hey, you said you'd hear us out. So Van Chush sank back into his chair. Another captain stood up. It was his turn. He said, You were always so taken up with the fight of the moment that you never have time or attention to give to preparing for the emergencies of tomorrow. What's the use of a glorious victory on Monday if we win under conditions that weaken us so we lose in a fight on Tuesday? The siege is not for a day, but for a week, maybe a month or a year. Who knows? The planning must not be for a day in time, but for all the days that the enemy is in the field. At this point, Dunderblitzen's thick brain was finally penetrated and his tongue motionless. He just sat and he listened. Another officer spoke and says, you let the enemy lay out your day's work for you. All he has to do is make an assault somewhere and away you go to repel it. Meanwhile, you neglect a hundred other things that ought to have your attention. A good general doesn't let the enemy decide for him. He devises the strategy, lays out his own day's work, and follows it through uninterruptedly to the end. There are many things besides the actual fighting that a general must think of, said another officer. There's the question of supplies. Here we are face to face with famine because you have given no attention to saving and protecting our resources. We have nobody bringing in new supplies. There's no commissary. There's no medical department. You've been so busy hammering heads or sleeping off your fatigue, you've missed everything else that requires strategy and attention. Now, the conversation continued to evolve for Dunderblitzen as these captains gained more confidence that they could say whatever they wanted. I mean, one officer proclaimed that Dunderblitzen has the memory of a sieve, a brain like a mud turtle, and the power of initiative like a clay bank. Now, I don't know what all that stuff means, but I think it's pretty funny. And Dunderblitzen didn't, clearly. He screamed, no man can talk to me like that. 
One captain then replied, sit down. There is no one man talking to you right now. This entire council is talking to you. You asked for our opinion, and we are here to give it to you with an honest answer. The first thing to be done is for you to resign the leadership and appoint a general in your place. Then you go back to being a captain of a troop and mix it up hand-to-hand fighting until you reek in gore. As a skullcracker, you are a wonder. But as a general, it is the unanimous opinion of this council that you are a large and juicy lemon. Now, did he resign? Yeah, he sure did. And when the council adjourned, there was a new leader in place. And for Dunderblitzen, he left a sadder but hopefully wiser man now leading a troop as a captain. So are you a Dunderblitzen, right? When we think about this element and we think about, well, sales leadership turns over every 18 months and all of those things, you really look across and say the leadership world is full of Dunderblitzens. I believe I was a Dunderblitzen after my first promotion into revenue leadership. You know, so many get promoted because of the skill possessed in doing the role, but without training in that leadership type capacity, without structure, without framework with which to strategize, they often don't figure it out until after the war is over and they've lost, and then they go do it again somewhere else. These Dunderblitzens, they rattle around doing the work of the front lines when they should be leading. Leaders who try to run every last part of their businesses or departments themselves, staggering under a load of detail, constantly engaged in hand-to-hand struggles with routine matters, they fail to step back to plan and to strategize. Now, Holman, in his article, he finished with this paragraph that I loved. He said, such a man is not a business strategist, but a business pack horse, not a business eagle, hovering on easy wings with a keen eye on every happening in the field of operations below, but a business camel, prone on the plain, with his head buried deep in the sand and blind to what is taking place about him. So think about that. Like, are you a Dunderblitzen? Do you let outsiders and outside forces lay out your day's focus for you? Or are you relinquishing your power and requirement of initiative to become a passive prisoner to the enemy? Getting promoted to my first sales leadership role was a massive goal achieved for me, but those first few days, I was a dunderblitzen. I mean, as I joke about, I felt like a dog chasing a car down the street, never really knowing what direction it was headed. I was a prisoner to whatever turn the car was taking, never really figuring out how to think strategically about the overall foundation of building revenue capacity. And the problem existed for me back then that Where would I even go to find a strategy? Send out an email and go, hey, does anybody have a 30, 60, 90 day plan? And they all were kind of messy, right? Like, where would I even begin? Nobody ever taught me that. So being the nerd that I was, I created a framework or a structure. And I called it the five F's of building revenue capacity, but shameless self-promotion. It is the foundation for my book, The Transparent Sales Leader. And it's a course that I teach leaders of all kinds of companies all over the place. It's become the second most popular course I teach beyond the negotiation program that I teach. But really, it's called The Transparent Sales Leader. It's not really about transparency. And it really applies to anybody in a revenue leadership capacity. A simple way to see your entire revenue organization, to plan, to strategize, to communicate, and see the holes before they form. And with the war analogy brightly in front of us, 
when the bullets start flying, you always have that to fall back on. Now, I love this story and its connection to leadership. It was applied so fantastically in the early 1900s, but it's still just as applicable today. So don't be a dunderblitz. And, and if I can help, reach out. We'd love to be a resource for you, your leaders, and your team. And as always, thanks again for investing your time in another episode. I hope this dunderblitz and story is one that you can use as you're trying to shape and mold the leaders of your organizations. And either way, if you like this episode, please share it. Please review it if you get a chance. Tell your friends. I do this as a hobby and I just love to share this stuff with you. So thanks again. Thanks again.